Hey everyone, my name is Jason Parker, and I want to welcome you to the Coastal Church Podcast. I'm super excited for you to hear this message. We believe that God wants to speak to us, and we hope that you're open to hear what He has to say to you today. Enjoy. Over there, there's a couple people that I know, so say hi to this person, and say hi to that person, and say hi to that person. So often in Paul's letters, at the end of his letters, we have this thing going on, where there's greetings that are happening back and forth and back and forth. And so that's pretty common in in Paul's letter writing. But there are a couple things that are unique about Paul's ending here in Romans chapter 16 that we're going to delve into here a little bit. The first one is that this is, it's not totally unique, but it's one of the few times where Paul wrote a letter to a church and Paul had not visited Rome yet. Matter of fact, it's really unique for Paul to write a letter to a church he had not planted and Paul had not planted the church in Rome because he wasn't the one, he wasn't even there yet. He was planning his first visit, and he talked in Romans chapter 15 about coming to spend his first visit there. And so one of the things that's unique about this ending is Paul had not been there yet. And so he's trying to establish some rapport and trying to give people the heads up for what's to come. The second thing that is really unique about Romans chapter 16 in terms of endings and greetings is it's really long. If you look at the way that Paul's ended some of his other letters, they're way shorter. But Paul spends a lot more time in this chapter landing the plane on this really long masterpiece of a book called Romans. And the third thing that's really unique about Romans compared to Paul's other letters is there's a lot of talk about women. And so that's something we're going to delve into a little bit here tonight. Paul mentions more women than men who are distinguished for their hard work in various church ministries. So there's three things we're going to talk about tonight. You all ready for this? You all sound ready. Man. So there's three things. You all ready for this? I want you to repeat after me. There's a cause. Can you say cause? There's a caution. Can you say caution? And there's a call. Can you say call? So we're going to talk about a cause. Oh, I like it. I'm, I'm, you're saying stuff. I'm not even saying it. I love it. Good participation points on that one. There's a cause, there's a caution, and there's a call. So that's what we're going to hit on tonight as we look at Romans chapter 16. We're going to start off with a cause. Now, you might not agree with me tonight, and that's okay. But I believe that Romans 16, there's a cause for women in ministry. I'm just going to let that linger for a second. Because even when I say those words, oftentimes there can be tension associated with this idea that women are actually allowed to be in ministry. Believe it or not, and I'm going to tell you a story in a few minutes about, maybe that sounds ridiculous to you. Like, why, even, why are we even discussing that? Like, it's a no-brainer. 50%-ish of the church is women, so why can't women be in ministry? Well... We're going to talk about that a little bit. Because Paul is actually doing something here in the greeting. He's not just saying hi and hello for no purpose. Oftentimes, everything Paul does is on purpose and on mission. And Paul's actually setting something up. Before we kind of get into the text a little bit here, I just want to say that we in the Wesleyan Church, we believe in women in vocational ministry. That's something that we believe. And like I said earlier, 50%-ish 
of the body of Christ worldwide is women. And it makes no sense to me at all why we would limit ministry to just men. Because I don't know about you, but I don't like playing any team sport with a handicap or playing shorthanded. Do you? Because that's what some versions of the church, and it's actually more so more recently over the last couple hundred years than it was actually in the early church standard, that we've actually disqualified certain people, aka women, from serving in different ministry roles. Now, you might think, man, like maybe that happened 50 years ago, but that doesn't happen today. Do we disqualify women today? Let me tell you the story about my wife, which I have permission to tell. My wife was feeling called to go to Bible college um, about 12 or 13 years ago. And when she was applying to go to Bible college, she had to get a pastor to fill out a reference form, who shall remain nameless. I'm joking. You guys can laugh. I will not share his name. But one of the prerequisites for this person to fill out the reference form is that the person made her promise to never become a pastor. And he filled out the reference, and she promised to do that, and since then has broken that promise. And for those of you that don't know, my wife is a pastor. And that's just an example to say that there are people in the world and in the church today that don't recognize the role that women have and are called to in ministry. Now, maybe you're one of those people that you're like, I don't think that's a thing. Maybe you're with that, per- that pastor, and you hold a persuasion based on a few passages in Scripture, and you think, I don't think women should be in ministry either. And I'm not going to give a definitive argument from Romans 16 tonight as to why I believe women should be in ministry based on the Bible, not just based on Jay's opinion. But I do think that Paul here, Paul believed that women have a role in ministry, and it's not just to teach Sunday school or to do a minimal task. Some of the people that Paul name drops here in Romans chapter 16 had pivotal leadership roles in the body of Christ, and some of them were planning churches. Some of them were actually coaching and instructing other ministers of the gospel to how to share the gospel more effectively. Let's dive into the text here tonight as we look at Romans chapter 16. So this is the context of Romans 16. Just track with me for a second here. Paul was sending the letter with a person. Does anyone know who Paul was sending the letter to deliver to the churches in Rome? It was a girl. Her name was Phoebe. Phoebe was the letter carrier sent by Paul, and Phoebe was a deacon in the church in Centria. It was just across the Aegean Sea from Rome. So just imagine, we got coastal church here, and there's a coastal church on the Cape. And Phoebe had to travel from here by boat to get to the Cape to go to a church over there. That's what's happening here in this passage of Scripture. Phoebe was traveling from Centria, a church where she had leadership in, traveling to the church in Rome to deliver this letter. And she would get up in front of all the congregations in the church in Rome that met in house churches, and she read this entire letter. And not only did Phoebe read this letter, you know what she did after the letter was read? She would give teaching and instruction and field questions from each congregation. And Paul here was commending Phoebe 
to the church in Rome and affirming her role in leadership and being sent as Paul's direct ambassador. You think Paul believed in women in ministry? And throughout the next number of verses in this first section in Romans chapter 16, Paul names 10 women and affirms many of them in detail of their role in women in ministry because Paul's trying to do something. Paul is trying to establish Phoebe's authority in the church in Rome in a culture that might have rejected women's authority. Are you tracking with me? That's what Paul is doing on purpose here in Romans chapter 16. Paul mentions Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful for them. And then you see at the start of Romans chapter 16, it says this, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Centria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her and any people she may need, give her help, let me try that again, and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. So Paul sends Phoebe, and right off the bat, we have mention of Phoebe and Priscilla. And if you read through the book of Acts, Priscilla and Aquila were helping Paul plant churches and share the gospel. And you have this instance in the book of Acts where there's this guy named Apollos who is preaching the gospel, but he's not fully preaching the gospel. And so Priscilla and Aquila have to instruct Apollos with how to communicate the gospel more effectively. Apollos was full of passion and zeal, but he just needed some coaching, some teaching and instructions on how to share the gospel. And so we see in the New Testament a woman instructing another guy with how to preach the gospel more effectively. I think Paul believed in women in ministry. And throughout the rest of this passage of Scripture, we actually see three couples that are mentioned, married couples that are actually doing ministry together. Now, I just read through the book of, I'm reading through the book of 1 Corinthians, and Paul is having this big discussion on whether or not it's better to be single or better, better to be married. I remember as a young Christian, um, I was like, Lord, if you really, really want me to be single for the rest of my life, I will do it, but Lord, please, would you give me a wife? And the Lord answered, right? And Paul is having this whole discussion on whether it's better to be single or whether it, you know, so on and so forth, and he talks a little bit with that. One of the really cool things that Paul mentions here in Romans 16 is there's actually couples that do ministry together. And it's really cool to see that here in Scripture and to see it actually today. Couples that are both serving God in ministry collectively. And so Paul goes on to provide some greetings and talks about Phoebe, and she's going to travel to each of these home churches and read this letter. But Paul's really trying to drive home a point that over the last 2,000 years has been an issue in culture. How many of you know over the last 2,000 years, we have not lived on an equal playing field with our socioeconomic way in which we see the world? Some people are seen as up here and down here. We have poor, we have rich, we have male, we have female. We have all kinds of differences socioeconomically. But Paul is trying to communicate something here in Christ Jesus. And I was having a conversation with someone last week that was a guest um, visiting our church from the city. And we're talking about some of the conflicts that 
are in different countries in the world and how some countries don't let, allow people from other countries to even enter their country. And I said to him, I said, you know, the answer is really Jesus. Because in Jesus, there's neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, neither rich nor poor, because we're all one in Christ Jesus. And that's what Paul said in the book of Galatians. I'll read this verse to you. It says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. This is what Paul was trying to communicate to the church in Rome. So receive Phoebe. Help her out. Affirm her in her role. Because I don't know about you, but I don't like playing shorthanded. And Paul was saying that we ought to receive this person in the Lord. And so here at Coastal, you'll see women in ministry. You'll see women preaching the word of God and serving Jesus. And why not? Why wouldn't we celebrate and affirm this call that Paul really appears to do and the Bible really appears to? And maybe you're that person that you're a logical thinker and you'd like some resources on discovering whether that's really a thing in the Bible because you think of other scriptures that say otherwise. I'd love to have a conversation with you and give you some resources. And at the end of the day, you might still disagree, and that's okay. But I think scripture and the whole of scripture points to the role of women in ministry, and I'm going to step off my soapbox right now. So we talked about a cause. Can you say a cause? The second one is a caution. Can you all say a caution? Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. Have you ever met a divisive person? Someone that causes division amongst other people. So the Bible actually instructs us here to actually stay away from people that cause division. Now, in order for us to stay away from people that cause division, what do we need to be able to do? We need to be able to recognize characteristics or what people are like that cause division. And so I want to just briefly explain to you, what does someone that cause division actually look like? Are you, are you ready for this? You're ready. Okay. Real convincing. Someone that causes division is someone that gossips about other people. It's someone that manipulates other people. Have you ever been manipulated before? Someone that causes division is someone that brings polarizations between two sides. Someone that causes division is not often the same person in public as they are in private. They'll try to put a spin on things. They'll always play the victim card. They'll always blame other people and not take responsibility for themselves. Someone that causes division is a very, very broken person that will not repent and turn away from their ways. They slander other people. And they're not wearing the same mask they are in public as they are in private. People that cause division are fear-filled people that want power and they want control. The Bible says, stay away from these kind of people. 
Maybe you have someone in your life that is a divisive person. You know what the scripture says? Stay away from them. Maybe they're in your family. So you're like, Lord, what do I do with that one? Pray about it. But cut off their influence in your life. And Paul's not seeing these divisive people. And Paul, as we know throughout this last number of chapters of Scripture, Paul's been dealing with these issues of division throughout the last number of chapters here in Romans. And now he's getting really specific. He's been warning them about division, cautioning them on, you know, not letting things divide you. But there's specific people in the Roman church that are causing a stink. And Paul is instructing the church in Rome collectively, stay away from those people that are causing division. And ultimately, who's the ultimate source? Where is all this division actually coming from? Well, we know that the Bible actually teaches us it's not flesh and blood that we wrestle against, right? But it's powers and principalities and spiritual forces. The Bible actually teaches us that the real source of division is actually Satan, our enemy. And Satan wants to divide the church. He wants to make us suspicious of one another. He wants to ruin the witness of the church to outsiders, and so he's going to try to come and bring division. And it's why Paul says to the church in Rome as they're facing this struggle with division inside the church and they're facing this polarization in the kind of the world outside of the church when they're wrestling with these issues. It's why Paul says, be excellent at what is good, be innocent of evil, and the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet in Romans 16:20. He's saying, I know you've been in a battle, church. I've known you wrestled with division. I know you've struggled internally and externally. But keep being faithful. Keep being innocent of evil. And the day is coming when, when God will actually crush that threat from the enemy to divide your church. And he will give your church peace. You see, sometimes individually and even organizationally as a church, we go through seasons of battle. And the command from Scripture to us is be excellent at what is good. Keep being faithful at what God has called us to be faithful in. Amen? And be innocent of evil. Don't go there. Don't do the things that culture is trying to influence us to do. And as you're faithful, as you're innocent of evil, God has the power to crush the evil one with all of his threats and all of his attacks. That was Paul's word to the church in Rome as they were facing this attack of division from the enemy. How many of you know that we go through seasons where we are under attack by the enemy? How many of you know that's a real thing? Because it is. We are in a spiritual battle. To not believe that is to not believe Scripture. The Bible teaches us we are all in a spiritual battle and, and our enemy is Satan. And he comes to divide. The Bible says that he roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But I'm thankful that we have a lion that is a lot stronger than the evil one. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah and his name is Jesus. And last time I checked, he conquered sin, death, and Satan at the cross, and he rose again from the dead, and he conquered the evil one, and he overcame his lies and his deception, amen? 
And last time I checked, I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places above the evil one. I now live and walk in the victory of Jesus. I'm not overcome. I'm an overcomer in Christ. And that's the word for us here tonight. Last night we were at worship night, and we sang the song, Resurrecting. The resurrected king is resurrecting me. And I had this revelation that Jesus resurrected us. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he rose up from sin. He rose up from death. He rose up over Satan. He overcame him. And I live in that resurrection. Yes, Satan still comes. He still tempts. He still resists. He still does his thing. But in Christ, I have overcome the evil one. He doesn't have influence on my life anymore. He doesn't have the power to ruin my day anymore. Why? Because greater is he that lives in me than he that is in the world. Amen? The God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. So stay away from divisive people because we know that they're not working for God. They're working for the evil one. There's also a caution here. Maybe you've started to adapt some tendencies and some habits, whether you realize it or not, and you have started to become a divisive person. Maybe slowly and subtly you've started to speak negatively about other people. You've started to allow gossips to be something that you're okay with. You're okay with talking about someone behind their back. It subtly slips in. Subtly, this person you are in private is different than the person you are in public. Subtly, you start manipulating other people. And the scriptures would just command you to stop being that kind of person. Don't talk bad about someone behind their back. Be the same in public with that person as you are in private. If you notice yourself having to work really hard in public, then probably the things you feel and think towards that person in private are probably wrong. So are you that same person in private or public, or are you one of those divisive people? Or maybe you just have subtly let that stuff come in, and you say, Lord, please forgive me. I've gossiped and slandered about people behind their back, and that's just wrong. I know the Holy Spirit convicts me sometimes, and I'll start saying something about someone else, and I'll just be honest. And sometimes the Lord will stop me like mid-sentence, like, don't say it. And sometimes we're guilty of blowing through that stop sign, and we'll say something. Have you ever felt like you're having a conversation with someone else, and right in the middle of the conversation, it turns towards gossip, and you feel the Holy Spirit convicting you, saying, I don't think I should be saying these words, or I don't think it should be okay with this conversation, and we blow through the stop sign. May I encourage you with something? The next time you find yourself tempted to speak evil about someone else, listen to the stop sign. Even if you're mid-sentence and you sound foolish by saying, I shouldn't say anything more, it's okay. It's better than sinning. <laughs> Looking like a fool because you don't finish a sentence is way better than sinning. Agree? Be innocent of evil, the scripture says. 
And maybe you need to be that person when you hear gossip, you actually counteract it. You turn the tide. And you're the person that says, we shouldn't be having this conversation right now. Or let's bring that person in the room and have that conversation with them. Or, or be that person to call them out. I know we don't like confrontation, especially in Southwest Nova. I don't like confrontation. But what would it look like if we love people enough to say, hey, we shouldn't be gossiping about that person? Don't you realize that we have influence? And maybe you think, oh, I don't have that much influence. I'm, you know, my words can't do a lot. Or maybe you think your influence is really, really small. Well, there's this African proverb that says, those people that, don't, that think that small things don't have influence haven't spent a night with a mosquito in their tent. Tell me that small things don't influence things. So we have a cause. We have a caution. And the last thing we have is a call. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. Paul starts this letter, the book of Romans, and ends it in a very similar fashion. Paul starts off the book of Romans and says, A servant of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. And Paul says in chapter 1, I am unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of Christ for all who believed. And this is Paul's prayer for the church in Rome as he lands the plane here in the book of Romans. He says, Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes through faith. To the only wise God be glory forever. Through Christ Jesus, amen. Paul, at the start of the book of Romans and at the end of the book of Romans, he explains how this gospel, this good news of Jesus came about. That hundreds of years before Jesus Christ came, in the Old Testament writings, these prophets predicted that this Messiah, this chosen one, this one would come and suffer on behalf of humanity to bring healing and restoration to broken lives. Hundreds of prophecies about this coming servant, this suffering servant. And then we see Jesus step onto the scene. We see Jesus performing signs and wonders and miracles to prove that he really was this chosen one sent from God. And we see this Jesus suffer at the hands of sinful man. We see him be crucified, killed, and buried and put in a rich man's tomb. We see this Jesus three days later rise up from the dead and seen by many witnesses. And we see this Jesus ascend to the right hand of God. And we see this Jesus send the Holy Spirit and birth the church and fill the church with his passion and his power to go out and boldly proclaim that the work that Jesus did through his death and resurrection was for all people to receive forgiveness of sins and to be adopted by God and to be brought into the family of the Father. And we see the church move forward with God's passion and God's power and radically transform the world even to Rome. And Paul writes this book to help the church to understand that all of us, like all of us in this room, one time were broken. And God hand us over to our own living, to our own ways. 
to convince us that we needed Jesus. Because none of us can get good with God on our own. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And none of our good works can get us in a right relationship with God. But God loved us so much. He sent his only son whom he loved to die on a cross for my sin and for your sin. That if you believe that this is actually true, you can be forgiven and you can be brought back into right relationship with God. And God will pour his love into your heart through the Holy Spirit. Even when we were his enemies, God sent Christ to die for us. And Jesus broke the power of sin and selfishness. He gave us the power and the ability to actually live our lives for him. And yeah, it's a struggle. Yeah, it's a battle. Yeah, it's hard. But God has placed his very spirit inside of us to give us the power and ability to live our lives for him. And it confirms in our hearts the spirit of God that we are actually children of God. And God promises to use all things for our good. He is for you. He is not against you. He loves you. And he has an incredible plan for your life. And so maybe tonight is your first time of putting your faith and trust in Jesus. Maybe you need to come up for prayer and say, I want Jesus to come into my life. I need his forgiveness. I need to accept him into my life. Or maybe you're here tonight and you're in a battle. And you need someone to pray with you to give you the strength to continue to be excellent at what is good and innocent of evil. Maybe that's you tonight. I just want to invite you to come forward for prayer if that's you. You see, we never graduate from the gospel. We never like move on to something deeper. Jesus makes the good news good news for all of us. I think when we sang that song earlier tonight, Lord, make me undone by what you have done. Are you undone by what God's done on your behalf? Or do you need a fresh revelation of how amazing this good news is? Do you realize tonight that you're forgiven if you're a follower of Jesus? That the slate's been wiped clean? Do you realize that the spirit of the living God lives inside of you? Do you realize that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in your life? Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you open our eyes to help us to realize how amazing this good news is. And maybe you're convinced tonight that this good news is real. And tonight's the night you make your decision to say, I want to accept that good news because I believe it. The only way we can get established in this gospel is if Jesus does it. So whether you're accepting Jesus for the first time or whether you've been a believer for a long, long time, we need his help to establish us in this good news. That's our call. Would you stand to your feet as we pray? Father, thank you for the gospel, the good news, and God, I never get tired of sharing how incredible you are and what you've done. And so Jesus, would you just move in this place by your Holy Spirit? Would you give us a fresh revelation of the gospel, Lord, of what it means to be forgiven and adopted and all the good things you've done for us in Jesus? And God, for those that you're maybe calling to make that step of faith to accept you, Lord, would you just move on their hearts tonight, Lord? Would you give them the courage and the confidence to put their faith and trust in you? And if you're here tonight and you want to make the decision to accept Jesus, I just want to encourage you to 
slip out from your seat and come up front right now. We have two people over here that would love to pray with you to help you ask Jesus into your heart. And so if you're here tonight, you want to make that decision, I just encourage you with all my heart to just step away from your seat and just come on up front. We'd love to have prayer with you tonight. Just go ahead and do that at this time. That's you. And Father, I just pray tonight, Lord, that for those that are up against something, that those that are in a season of battle, a season of challenge, a season of discouragement, Jesus, would you just encourage us that hope is on the other side, that the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath our feet, that God, you give us the victory in Jesus. And so God, would you just pour it out in this place tonight? Would you lift the spirits of those that are weary and worn and battle-tired, God? God, pour out your spirit in this place, we pray, Father. God, we love you. And we just thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come forward for prayer if you need it. We really hope that this message has motivated you to go deeper in your relationship with Jesus and has inspired you to join us in our mission to take Jesus into every community of Southwest Nova. If you have any questions about the sermon, if you want to know how you can get involved, send us an email at office at coastalchurchns.com. We'd love to get connected with you. Have a great day.